This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Welcome to Elevate. It is the best night of the week. I'm excited to continue this series on how to study the Bible. Now, last week, we had sort of an introduction where we discussed what is the Bible, what are its purposes, what's the overall story, how is it arranged, how do you have a Bible study? And I want to bring back to memory its purposes. What are the three purposes of Scripture? And number one, they are to glorify God. The Bible is the story of how God saves his people. And all of it is for the sake of showing us how great he is. The second thing is that it is to reveal him to us so we can know him and have salvation. It reveals God's character and his work so that we can know him. And by knowing him, coming into relationship with him, we have salvation. And third, the Bible is to equip his people to train us, prepare us, sharpen us for this life and the next. Now, as we jump into the the next week of this, we're going to look today at what are the implications of the Bible being from God. And we're going to see that there are six different implications, that if the Bible is genuinely from God, these six things are true. And all of them were true on a beach out in the middle of the ocean. Now, some of you may have heard the story of the USS Bounty. It was a ship that was famous for the crew taking over it. And what had happened was that the US Bounty was on a scientific voyage, a botany voyage to these islands, and they were supposed to learn all they could about the plant life and then return back to England. Well, the men of the ship enjoyed beach life quite a bit. They also found themselves very drawn to the women, uh, the natives of, of that those islands. And when it came time to go home, there was a mutiny and the captain and those loyal to him were put into a life raft, set out to survive on the seas. The ship was turned around and returned back to those islands. Well, when they returned to those islands, they returned with only their own principles to guide them. And human nature being exactly what it is, they quickly learned how to distill a certain plant and make their own alcohol. And they lived as however they wanted, as sinfully as they wanted. And there, having the the perfect ideal situation, the human creature has a way of staining and destroying. And it didn't take long until there became situations where there was infighting and battles and fights, and soon all the men, both natives and the crew, had killed each other off, down to one last survivor from the USS Bounty. And he sat on the beach, considering all of these things, and behind him on the island were living no more than the women and the children, because all the males had been killed off. And there on the beach, he found the USS Bounty's Bible. He had never read it before. He opened it up, he began to read, and he believed what he read. 
And he took the Bible and he went back and taught the natives, those living on the island. And decades later, whenever other ships came to find him and any of the survivors from the USS Bounty, they found an idyllic civilization where all of the, all of the people living there were literate. They were able to read. They operated by the commandments of the Bible, and there was peace. Scripture is powerful. It's more than just ink and, and, and paper. It's more than just words in the English language or the Greek language or, or, or whatever language. The Holy Spirit has given this to us, and it brings with it a weight that no other book in literature has. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, that we discussed last week, says that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It comes from the very mouth of God. And it's on equal, miraculous footing with creation itself. Because God spoke creation to existence, and God spoke His Word for us. But if the Bible is breathed out by God, it doesn't begin with man. Every other work in literature is man looking up or trying to climb up to God, but the Bible is top down. It originates in God. It's spoken to human writers. Those writers write it down for us, and through the Holy Spirit, he opens up the minds of his people to understand what they wrote. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. And we're going to skip around just a little bit for time's sake, but we're going to begin in verse 7. Chapter 2, verse 7. Beginning, I think it's 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Yes, 1 Corinthians. Apologize for that. Chapter 2, verse 7. And Paul is speaking about himself and Jesus' apostles who wrote Scripture. I'm going to begin at verse 7, then we're going to jump to verse 9 and 10, and then jump to verse 12. He says this, But we, talking about himself and the other writers of Scripture, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed, God spoke, he laid down before the ages for our glory. Verse 9, But as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Verse 12, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit is who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So through the Holy Spirit, God revealed what he wanted us to know to the prophets and to the apostles. What he wanted us to know about himself, about ourselves, about the, the physical realm, the spiritual realm, how to obey him, and on and on and on. So what, so what happens next? God is revealing by the Holy Spirit mysteries to the apostles and prophets. Let's look at verse 13. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So the Holy Spirit led Paul and the other writers of Scripture 
to write his words correctly for us to know what he's revealed. So we have God's revealing. We have the authors being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write it down correctly. But the Bible, so maybe, maybe you're thinking the Bible is full of authors. It's 66 books. It has 40 plus authors. And all the authors, they sound different. They have different personalities and different emphasis. Uh, if it's all from the, the same divine author, why doesn't it sound the same throughout? And I heard, the, I heard a really cool illustration that a talented musician is able to play a certain song through a certain instrument. But they can put that instrument down. Maybe they can put the clarinet down and they can pick up a trumpet and play the exact same song using the same notes. And they can put the trumpet down and maybe pick up a trombone and play the same song in the same notes. Now, each instrument has its own, for lack of a better word, personality, but they're playing exactly what the artist intends to play. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, this is where Peter talks about this, this, this idea of God speaking through people. And he says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Peter's saying, hey, this isn't from me. I'm not giving you my words. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God. They were instruments of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So God reveals, the authors write, and then look at this. This is so cool because this applies to me and you. Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. All right, so we have a contrast. Those who are unbelievers, those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, are not able to understand what those authors wrote. They don't have that Holy Spirit inside of them, enlightening them to understand God's revelation. Verse 16 for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So an unbeliever may open up the Bible and only read foolishness. But the Holy Spirit gives the spirit-filled reader understanding. Isn't that so beautiful? David, David celebrates God's written word. He loves the scriptures. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 19, which is fast becoming one of my very, very favorite Psalms. And he uses uh, different words for the scriptures. He uses words like law or commandments or precepts. And you're, you're going to see those peppered throughout. But even before he speaks about God's written word, he first discusses another way, a, a first way that God reveals himself, that he exists in his, in his, some of his attributes. So let's begin Psalm 19, verse 1. This is so beautiful. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Now, now we don't know when in David's life he sat down to write Psalm 19, but I can imagine it at least began on a dark, clear night when David laid awestruck by the beauty of the night sky. And maybe it was whenever 
It was whenever he was a boy and he's, he's laying out on a human night watching his father's sheep. Or maybe David is looking out from the mouth of a cold cave during the time he's on the run from Saul. Or maybe he was comfortably reclined on a soft couch on the roof of his kingly palace. Or maybe, just maybe, maybe he wrote Psalm 19 as an old man whispering to his son Solomon and teaching him to be a godly king of Israel. Listen, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words whose voice is not heard. Look look at the text. Look at the words David uses for nature, for creation, for the skies. What do they do? They declare. They proclaim. They have speech. They reveal. Romans 1.20 says, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So before the Holy Spirit ever led men to put pen to paper, God had already revealed his existence, his power, his nature through the first author, and that is his creation. And without anything audible, they speak clearly of God's eternal attributes. Then David in verses four through six where he says, their voice, that nature's voice goes out throughout all the world, all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy, its risings from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So David uses a nighttime illustration. The stars are like a tent over us. And he uses a daytime illustration, the sun coming around the earth and everything is touched by its heat. And both of these, whether inside the tent or under the heat of the sun, we can't escape the message that's being given to us from nature. But, lean in with me, but although knowing God through what he's created, is clear and it is beautiful. There's a problem. It's limited. It, it can communicate with us generally, but it doesn't have human language. There are no words that can be heard. We can know about God, but we can't know him. You can know about a celebrity and yet have no relationship with them. But it's almost like I can feel David's excitement because he celebrates God's, God's word to us through his nature, but then God's word in words in the coming verses. Now, think with me for a second. The ocean is real. Right, I mean, that kind of goes without saying, but think with me, it's real, it's tangible. You can visit the beach and you can stand with your toes in the hot sand. 
You can, you can smell the salt in the air. You can feel the breeze on your face. You can climb into the, the cool water and, and be immersed in it. It, it will touch all of, of our five senses. And then you can leave the hot sand and experience it all the way when you jump in. But if you ever wanted to leave the shore and go anywhere, maybe cross that ocean in a boat to Portugal, you, you can't just go and play in the water. You, you would need a map. You would need an objective guide with clear direction to follow. And there are a lot of Christians who are satisfied with a spiritual experience, an emotional high or receiving a big blessing, some sort of miraculous blessing. And they may have tasted something that really moved them, and that's where it ends for them. Their experiences may feel real. They may feel really tangible, but they fall short of revealing God's character of his expectations of his guidance or most crucial of all his redemption they'll never be convicted of sin by an experience they'll never know a relationship with jesus or to be a part of the father's family those things aren't revealed in creation which is why psalm 19 verse 7 david changes gears and celebrates god's written word God's map. Let's read these together. Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Let's pause there. What we're going to see in these verses are the implications that if God spoke and the Bible is God's speech, his word to us, it will have six truths about it. And the first we find right away in verse seven and eight, the first implication is that scripture is true. It is the infallible word of God. Scripture is true. Look at the words that David uses. Words like perfect, sure, right. The rules of the Lord in verse 9 says that they are true. If something's not perfect, if it's not reliable, if it's not as permanent as God is, then it can't be said to be from Him. If it isn't from God, it shouldn't be allowed to have any sort of authority in our lives. But what we find is that while moral laws and civil governments, philosophies and science have changed drastically over time, the Bible has been constant and constantly changing people. Because the word of God is true, we can trust it. So the first implication, scripture is true. The second one, right here, in verse 7 again, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. 
The second implication is that it is necessary. Reviving, this word can also be translated as converting. It literally means bringing back. Scripture is necessary to show us our sin like a cold splash of water in the face and reveal our desperate need for a Savior. Scripture is necessary to bring us back from a sinful, fallen, rebellious state into the arms and family of our Creator, of our Father. Verse 12 says, Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Verse 13 says, Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. What's it saying? It's saying that it is necessary to reveal our errors. It's necessary to to make us blameless and innocent before God. Because it's God and God only that can revive us, that can make us blameless and declare us innocent. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, listen, and hearing through the word. Nature points to our creator, but we need scripture. We need scripture to point to our redeemer because it's necessary. We must cling to it. So God's word is true. God's word is necessary. Third, it says in verse 8, it says, The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, pay attention, enlightening the eyes. In verse 7, it says, It makes wise the simple, so that even the simple-minded person can understand it. Isn't that great? Isn't that, that's hopeful. The truths of the Bible are understandable so that it will not fail to lead an honest seeker to knowing God and knowing truth. I I had a professor in college who used to say all the time that the Bible was so that a baby could swim in it, but an elephant could drown in it. You can come to the Bible as a brand new Christian and it will be clear enough to hear God's voice in it, to know his commandments, to know his character, to come to the knowledge of Jesus, a saving knowledge of Jesus. And you can be someone who studies the Bible your entire life and never reach the bottom of its truth and beauty. The Bible is clear. It must be clear. It's for God's people. What's the point of God speaking and revealing if he's revealing in a way that we can't understand? I like what Mark Twain says. Mark Twain says, It ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. I believe that God is waiting for us to be obedient to the parts that we do understand. And in His timing, He'll reveal to us what we don't. Begin somewhere. We can't use it as an excuse that we don't understand it so we don't read it. Oh, certainly not understand it if we don't read it. Whenever Jesus says something simple like, blessed are the merciful, for they'll have mercy, that is not something that is confusing. When Jesus says, love your enemies, that's not confusing. It's hard, it's challenging, it's, it's uncomfortable, 
but it's not confusing. No, the Bible is clear. It's meant to be clear. And because it's clear, we can learn from it. So it's true, it's necessary, and it's clear. And number four, almost sort of like a bonus one. And I just love how kind our God is. Let's, let's look at verse 9 through 10 together. The, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. If art is someone's expression of creative skill, then the Bible is truly an expression of art, of God's beautiful genius. There's no literary work like it anywhere. Think about it. What verse 10 is saying, it's saying that the beauty of the Bible, its, its sweetness, its value, has stirred people who are darkened by greed or hungered for sweet pleasures to suddenly have new desires. Of all things, they begin to crave God's rules. That is, that's crazy. The rules of God are true. More desired are they than gold, sweeter than honey. You know, God didn't have to make it beautiful. He could have made his word a long bulletproof list of facts and commands. But instead, it's intricate and colorful and interesting and emotional and inspiring. And it moves the reader to give God praise. God did that for us as a gift. We get to grow in knowledge about our greatest joy in an enjoyable way. How sweet is our God? Because Scripture is beautiful, we can love it. So the Word of God is true, and it's necessary, and it's clear, and it's beautiful. Verse 11, 19, verse 11. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, declare me innocent from hidden faults. So look at David's words. He uses the word warn, errors. It's called his law. Verse 7, it calls it his precepts and his commandment. Verse 8, it says his rules. Because the author is sovereign, is the sovereign creator. He has creator rights. His word stands over us and demands our obedience. So God's word is authoritative. It is an authority over us. But its law is for even more than just our actions, more than what we do. Look at verse 13. David says, Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Those are sins in our heart. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Listen, he says, he says, keep back your servant. Let me be acceptable in your sight. This shows more than David saying, I want to follow the law for the law's sake. 
No, and, and instead, he, he wants a pure relationship with God. He, he recognizes that obedience, he recognizes that his relationship with the Lord goes beyond simply actions. He asks that his words would honor the Lord, but even goes beyond them that his private inner thoughts, his inner meditations would come into submission to God. In Matthew 5, Jesus confirmed that God's expectations are also for our thoughts. Jesus said, if you, if you hate someone, if you're lustful, that we're judged just the same as if we did them outwardly. True Christians have given complete loyalty, authority to our King's word over our lives. We don't conform to the Bible. The Bible transforms us. So because the Bible is authoritative, we must obey it. And lastly, it's hard to pick out any one part of this psalm to show this implication because the entire psalm is pointing at it. That is that the Bible is sufficient for this life and the next. It equips us for every life occasion. It prepares us for heaven. It, it equips us to fulfill the great commission. It opens up the opportunity for us to know God, for us to look in the mirror and see ourselves. It is sufficient for every situation. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 that we open with says that all scripture is breathed out by God. Now let's continue. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be, listen, complete equipped for every good work. We don't need other philosophies. We don't need other moral codes. We don't need motivational speeches. We don't need fortune cookies. God's word is sufficient. And because it's sufficient, we can apply it. There's a story in a book called The Problem of Presence by Matthew Engelke. And he tells a story of a missionary in Zimbabwe. And this missionary is, is working his way through the country. And in this story, he's in a very rural area. And he encounters one of the, the headmen in this certain village. And he offers to sell him a Bible at a great price. But the man says that he doesn't want to buy it. And when he asks him why, the man says this, because it pollutes people. So instead, the missionary decided, I'm just going to give you the Bible. Just, just take it. And the man told him that if he took the Bible, he would simply use the pages to roll his cigarettes and he would smoke it. So the, the missionary made a deal with him. He said, I will give you the Bible on one condition. If you read each page before you smoke. And the man was happy with this. So he gave him a Bible. And as missionaries do, missionary moved on. Several years later, in 1997, that missionary took another trip through that area and was at a convention there under the big tent. And a man stood up in the crowd and asked if he could speak to the missionary publicly. And when he was allowed, he said that this man doesn't remember me. 
because when I last saw him, I was a drunkard. He came to our village and persuaded me to take the Bible. I told him I would use the paper to roll cigarettes, but I promised to read each page before doing so, which I did. So I smoked my way through Matthew, and I smoked Mark too. Then I smoked Luke. I started smoking John. But when I came to John 3, verse 16, a light shone on my face. And now I'm a church-going person. I saw the light. What happened to this gentleman in Zimbabwe? The Holy Spirit opened his eyes and the scriptures became clear and they became true and they became beautiful and they became necessary and sufficient and authoritative to him. And my prayer for you, Elevate, is that the same will happen for you. And it may not happen in an instant just like it did for him, but it will happen for you if you genuinely seek. I pray that because the Bible is clear, you'll learn from it. Because it's true, you'll find you can trust it. Because it's necessary, you'll cling to it. Because it's authoritative, you'll obey it. Because it's sufficient, you will apply it. And because it's beautiful, you'll enjoy growing in the knowledge of God. Like last week, I want to remind you some great tips for having a Bible study. As you open up God's Word, the, the true and necessary and authoritative Word of God, to apply soaps, S-O-A-P-S. First, you begin with Scripture. You read a passage, a complete thought, and several times read it through to understand it. And then you observe Immerse yourself in the story. Immerse yourself in what the author is saying. Try to make connections to other places in the Bible. Ask yourself, like, what am I supposed to learn? What does this teach me about God? And then think through, okay, well, now that I have some of the basic truths, the main point of this section, how can I apply it in a practical way? Then pray. Pray through what you've learned. Pray through how to apply it. And take that truth, that simple truth, and consider a way that you could share it with someone. And I'd like to add a new one this week. So it'll be soaps j because I want to add J for journal. Open up a journal, composition book, whatever, and jot down the main truth that you learned in your study. Jot down what you learned about God. Jot down prayer requests or what you're thankful for. Just journal after your Bible study. And I think you're going to begin to see how God is working through His Word in your heart. So I challenge you this work this week to pray for clarity, to pray for passion for his word, and to begin to journal. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.